Have you ever tasted an heirloom tomato so delicious it was almost a religious experience? I used to think people who complained about supermarket tomatoes sounded full of themselves. I mean, how different can they taste? But then I tasted heirloom tomatoes in season, peak ripeness with so much flavor, I couldn't believe my taste buds. The next time I ate a mainstream tomato, it felt like eating wet cotton. And do you know what they used to call heirloom tomatoes? They used to call heirloom tomatoes tomatoes. Our post-industrial values of growth, efficiency, externalizing costs, comfort, convenience, and extracting things, they work in a lot of areas, but they turn something borderline divine into something available year-round, yes, at an affordable price, but a fall from grace, to say the least. Those things just do not measure up. In the way that my rare sips of scotch today give me more appreciation and joy of spirits than the larger quantities I drank of beer in college, Despite drinking less alcohol, my net appreciation of tomatoes and scotch is greater now, despite spending less money on them overall and eating them only in season. I mentioned this contrast between heirloom tomatoes and tomatoes, or really the old ones are tomatoes and post-industrial tomatoes. I do that for context. Every day, we read headlines about environmental problems, deforestation, sea level rise, plastic in our bloodstreams, forever chemicals crossing the placenta, lead lowering our IQs. They sound like a lot of different issues, all crazily hitting us at once, but they all result from our behavior. We can dance around environmental issues all that we want. We eventually reach overpopulation and overconsumption. No one talks about these things. I certainly didn't because everyone thinks reducing population means killing people and reducing consumption means reverting to the Stone Age. But now that I've learned what these things really mean, it's more like switching from binge drinking cheap beer or eating industrial tomatoes to appreciating scotch or experiencing pre-industrial tomatoes. Mainstream views, and no offense, but likely yours, and certainly mine before a couple years ago, are wrong on alternatives to both. These mainstream views associate reducing population with a one-child policy in China and eugenics, and the authoritarian, inhumane, and inhuman practices they led to, including forced sterilization, forced abortions, and more. They associate reducing overconsumption with deprivation and sacrifice. We associate buying things with happiness and quality of life. So less must mean unhappiness and lower quality of life. If we don't grow the GDP, people will lose jobs. We won't be able to maintain our infrastructure. Hospitals will close. Mothers will die in childbirth. 35 will become old age again. Do you want to return to the Stone Age, Josh? Is that what you really want? But the alternative to overpopulation is lowering the birth rate, which many nations, many nations have done through purely voluntary, non-coercive means, mainly education, access to contraception, and most of all, freedom. The freedom to choose the family size themselves, the opposite of the one-child policy or eugenics. These policies throughout the world brought health, longevity, stability, prosperity, and all these things through voluntary means, the opposite of mainstream expectations of the one-child policy or eugenics. Frankly, I thought that way too and couldn't talk about population until I learned of it happening all over the world, this lower population through voluntary non-coercive means. Until then, I thought, If the cure is worse than the disease, I'll take the disease. The last place that I want the government is in the bedroom. As it turns out globally, the government is in the bedroom these days, promoting larger families based on disproved economic myths, trying to coerce people into larger families. The government is in the bedroom pushing more kids, perhaps with the best intentions, but erroneously believing that putting more people on the planet is going to improve life. Maybe centuries ago, that was definitely the case. Not the case now. Over the past hundreds of thousands of years, humans have kept our population at replacement, 
we think that it's been growing like crazy. The past few centuries it has, since stumbling into fossil fuels, giving us all this free energy. But these are an aberration that we have born into, erroneously seeing as normal. For the two to 300,000 years, much longer than the past couple centuries, of human existence before agriculture, our ancestors lived, contrary to my expectations, but they lived longer, healthier lives, than in the past 10,000 years, until recent living memory. Then very recently it's gotten higher, but even now we're making ourselves sicker and dying earlier than our parents for the first time. Our lifestyles are making us live shorter, less healthier lives. People associate consumption with quality of life. More stuff can improve life if you're on the cusp, if you're living marginally. But people that you and I know, we imagine ourselves cousins with such people eking out a living as if we're on the border with them too. But on the contrary, you very likely, I don't know you exactly, but you and probably people you know are probably benefiting from the people who are really suffering. And we're probably contributing to that suffering. We are contributing to it if we're paying for things like single-use plastic, flying, heating our homes too much in the winter, cooling them too much in the summer, because when we put our money down to pay for these things, we're driving that system. The alternative to that system is joy, community, connection, freedom, fun, meaning, and purpose. You and I, I don't know you, but probably you and I are not on the margin. We have so much stuff. We Americans, we Westerners, we industrialized people. We have so much stuff. Advertisers spend billions to make us want more because we know that it does not improve our lives, and they're trying to make us think otherwise. Since Earth's carrying capacity without fossil fuels is, as best I can tell, about 2 billion people. Contact me or look in the blog for why I have these numbers. Leveling off our population at 7.8 or 8 billion does not move us away from the population collapsing. The solution is to copy what many people around the world have done, to choose to reduce birth rate globally to well below replacement and to consume less. One and a half children per woman globally brings the world population down to 2 billion by about the year 2100. Now, if you heard in what I said, classism, nationalism, sexism, or racism, in anything that I've said, you stuck that in yourself. Such preconceived notions are not helping anyone. There's nothing racist or any of those things in what I said. Reducing consumption and number of children in rich nations, those things are easier physically. We have much more resources to reduce. But people here are so entitled and so spoiled that in our minds, we think it's harder for us. It's actually easier. We've lost that sense. And technology has made us more dependent on it and less resilient less able to reduce our use of it. So we need to restore our culture, that is role models, beliefs, stories, images, to historical ones, including stewardship, and to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Nobody wants to be displaced from their land or to have their air, land, and water poisoned, but that is what we are doing to the world, as including ourselves. On a personal level, I've reduced my consumption and my waste from average American levels by over 90% all improving my quality of life. None of these things have been deprivation or sacrifice, although I expected they would be before I did them. I have no kids, though I could still have one and still be below replacement level. I doubt I'll have one because I just could not look my child in the eye, knowing what world is in store for him or her, that I have contributed to for so much of my life, and that people around me, I am working to stop our contribution to that degradation of Earth's ability to sustain life. Yes, so by my living as sustainably as I can, if you're a parent, I'm improving your kid's future possibly more than you are. Yeah, I said it. I might be helping your kids to a better future more than you are. Well, you can change that too. If you're like most people, facts, figures, logic, and instruction, however simple and sensical, won't influence your behavior. You'll change when something like five people around you in your life do. So for you to see one person in your life change, here are my changes. I haven't flown since 2016 by choice. I take two years to fill a load of trash, and that's a small load at that. 
I've picked up litter every day since 2017 and significantly more since the pandemic when the amount of trash on the streets has increased by so much. My monthly electric charges have this year been so far, last month $1.95, the month before that $1.40, I think, and the two months before that $1.70 and $1.70. I buy mostly local produce year-round, including in the winter. That means in the winter that I'm having beets, parsnips, radishes, turnips, all root vegetables. The major exception from the local produce is eating dried beans, which I buy from bulk, putting into my own bags. That's my main staple. I go through a lot of beans, but I cook super delicious, famous, no-packaging vegan stews. I last ate meat in 1990. I've been a vegan a big chunk of that time. And I lead global leaders to change. So I'm not acting alone. All of these things I'm acting for out of integrity to live by my values. But it's really I'm working to change systems and culture by leading other people. And to lead others, I must first lead myself for credibility and to know what I'm talking about. So now you know one person who lived like the average American, thought individual action wouldn't make a difference, thought only governments and corporations could make a difference, but voluntarily chose to live more simply and love the results so much that I will never return to the old ways, and I only wish that I acted sooner. Like you, I felt I needed to fly to make a living. My family is scattered around the world. I thought I had to fly to see them all. Nothing about the change in me was any easier than for you, no matter how unique you consider yourself or how much you think you need to, and Josh had some easier way of doing it. It was just as hard. The switch was hard, but now that I've made the switch, this is the way I'm going to keep living. Now you knowing my change, you're about 20% of the way to you changing yourself. Look for others, and as you find them, you'll change sooner. The number one predictor of someone installing solar on their homes is how many of their neighbors already did. Same with habits in eating, drinking, smoking, voting, and many other areas. As you find neighbors and people that you know who have acted, you'll find the pull to act as well. You might be thinking, what about efficiency? What about decoupling? Aren't we reducing consumption and waste while increasing GDP? This is a quantitative case. Before doing the numbers, you could imagine it going either way. Maybe we're on a path toward sustainability even at 7.8 billion people. After doing the numbers, decoupling is a myth. Actually, more like a scam, like recycling plastic and carbon offsets. We want to believe so much so that we can cling to our old ways. But once you see the effects of recycling plastic carbon offsets are the opposite of, frankly, our fantasies, that somehow we could pollute but it actually doesn't pollute, it becomes overwhelmingly clear that we're driving the system faster doing these things. If you make a polluting system more efficient, and we have a polluting system, when we make it more efficient, we pollute more efficiently. That is to say, more pollution with less effort. We have been sold scam after scam by polluters. I doubt that they meant harm any more than we as individuals do when we order takeout or flying. We don't mean to pollute more, but we do. Nature doesn't react to what we want, it reacts to what we actually do. Systems often work differently than we expect. So they sound like they could work, these things. The numbers matter, though, and they don't help things. Here are some of the scams. The hydrogen economy. When people say future generations will solve what we messed up. Recycling. The closed-loop economy. When people say, here's how we'll feed 10 billion people by 2050. When you hear someone say net zero, carbon neutral, electrify everything. When they talk about getting to Mars. Fission. Fusion. Decoupling. That we want to bring countries through a demographic transition. Carbon offsets geoengineering. They all sound like they'll work. They all make headlines because people hear them and they think, ah, great, the solution is at hand. But they don't work. They sound like they'll work. Asbestos worked. So did leaded gasoline. So did marketing cigarettes to children. It worked at something. Then they learned that for whatever profit they made for whomever and for whatever service they provided, they killed people. And so we stopped them. You probably suspected deep inside that carbon offsets were too good to be true. 
When you look at the systemic effects, they increase the problem. Same with fusion and all the other things that I listed. I have a PhD in physics, an MBA. I know the science side of things. I know the business side of things. And I've studied the stuff deeply. Nobody wishes these things worked more than I. I expected these things would work as much as anyone, but they accelerate the problems. To clarify, these things do have a place. Fission, fusion, recycling. They have a place tactically, but not strategically. These are not top-level things to do. They're nice to have. They'll help us in a context of a strategy or mission of reducing overpopulation and overconsumption. Don't believe me? Look at the numbers. Contact me for sources if you really don't believe me. Or look in my blog because I write about these things. Or I'll give you sources that go through the math much more deeply than I did. As it stands, the indicators are all increasing, especially carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, plastic in the ocean, deforestation, extinctions, and forever chemicals like PFOA. They're everywhere. And they're increasing. For generations, we have known that we are impacting too much. And we've said later generations will fix it while we're buying into the latest scam trend to keep us from seeing the obvious. The tragedy is that the scams weren't improving our quality of life. Research shows hunters and gatherers have higher qualities of life than most industrialized people today outside of a few elite percent. And even among the few elite percent, many of them, the quality of life is recently decreasing. All of these scam trend things promote thinking, not me, not now, someone else, some other time. They all fail to change our pollution, our rising pollution. When you hear those things, fusion, decoupling, demographic transitions, expect them to lead you to feel palliative thoughts. Things like, despite all the problems, you aren't responsible. Your pollution doesn't count. Keep buying. Keep consuming. Keep flying. Don't change. These scams accelerate our lowering Earth's ability to sustain life. Only two things work. Fewer kids, that is to say a smaller population, and less consumption, and it's resulting less production. If we want to pollute less, we have to change the system. Changing parts of a system won't do it. You need to change the system's values and goals. From the things I listed before, from material growth to enjoying what you have and personal growth, from externalizing costs to taking responsibility for how you affect others, from extraction to humility toward nature and honoring it, from comfort and convenience to the satisfaction of a job well done, and from efficiency to resilience. These new values, they aren't new. They're more fundamental for most of us, but lost amid the advertising-driven craving that we live in. Leaders change the values of cultures. You can choose to lead and act first. We all can. I can tell you from my experience and seeing many others change, many of whom that I've led myself, that you will love the change. Instead of loss or what you think you might lose, you'll save money and time. You'll connect more with your values. You'll connect more with nature, more with your family. I'm not talking about returning to the Stone Age. The opposite. As I mentioned, Heirloom tomatoes used to be called tomatoes. We can return to quality without losing modernity. We're seeing modern life decrease health, prosperity, and longevity. 80% of Americans are overweight and obese. If we use 23 BMI as the, as the border. Millions are dying from breathing air. Nine million people died from breathing air in 2019. Tens of millions of people are addicted to drugs, social media, Twinkies, Doritos, binge-watching TV, not getting exercise, not eating fresh fruits and vegetables. My changes restore and increase health, prosperity, and longevity. Earth will host fewer people at a time. There'll be a smaller population at any one time, but more humans will live over a longer future. Only they won't be barely surviving in a poisoned, overheated hellhole, which is what we're sleepwalking into. The route that I'm talking about leads us to living happier with a bit less stuff, more healthy food, more delicious food, cheaper food, closer to family, 
less flying and shipping, but more appreciation of our world, ourselves, and what we have. What's so great about 10 billion anyway? If we have to level off, and we do, why not at a sustainable number? 2 billion was more than enough to create Einstein and Mozart. A few hundred million produced Buddha, Jesus, Aristotle, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, Confucius, and the pyramids. We are overcrowded. A Buddha or Jesus today, born into favela in destitute poverty, might never realize his or her potential. Maybe they're there, and they're just struggling to live just to survive, and not realizing the genius that they could bring to the world. We can change that outcome. Most people focus on, here's one little thing you can do for the environment. We're telling people how dire the situation is, all that doom and gloom. I'm not going to stop them, but they base their work, their intent to change the world, on extrinsic motivation, often coercion, ending up making people feel guilt and shame. I work with intrinsic motivation, motivation that is already inside you, but unique to everyone. I don't care if the first thing you do is big or small. I care that you care what you do, because if you do care, you'll find what you do meaningful. You'll do it again. You'll influence others. So big or small at the beginning, you'll eventually reach big. And big that you share, that multiplies. That changes culture. That changes the world. It also changes your community, so it becomes easier and easier all the time. You might feel like you're swimming upstream at the beginning, but eventually you find yourself swimming downstream. You will influence others. If you want to stop someone from doing something, a great way to do it is to judge their first attempt. I do the opposite. I support after first listening. I've taught many people what they're now calling the despotic method to find your intrinsic motivation to act on the environment. If you watch my third TEDx talk, you'll hear me talk about my sledding hill. People find their sledding hills. You'll find that when you find yours, you want to act more. When you act for your reasons, you'll find meaning and purpose. Independent of the magnitude of what you do, and you'll want to act again, soon enough you'll influence the people around you. The biggest change you can make is to lead others. A lot of people think, what's the biggest thing I could do? Is it stopping eating meat, stopping flying, lowering the thermostat? Leading others multiplies any other effect. To lead others, you must first lead yourself. The Spodic method does so. It teaches you how to lead yourself and one other person, have them lead you. After you've led yourself and someone's led you, you can lead others with the Spodic method. You can lead more and more and more people to joyfully living sustainably. My next book, which I'm working on, will teach it in depth, as will upcoming courses, which I'll put online. For the time being, you can listen to me teaching it to one of my podcast guests, Jonathan Hardesty. I'll put the link in the show notes to his episodes. If you go to his third conversation with me, you'll hear me describe step-by-step how to motivate someone to share and act on their environmental values to create joy, freedom, fun, community, connection, meaning, and purpose. You can lead others through the method, and they can lead you. You'll love the experience and all it leads to. Leading others and teaching them to lead yet more others and teaching them to teach others will transform culture. That way it grows and grows and grows virally, but not like the viral in the matrix. This is to act in stewardship through leading ourselves and others, starting with individual action because systemic change begins with personal transformation. We will change systems. We will change culture. We will change the world to where industrial tomatoes and all the things, Twinkies and so forth, that all that implies are a sad memory of humanity's brief addiction to craving. And tomatoes, tomatoes are tomatoes, unspeakably delicious. And that joy and beauty of nature and each other and humanity is what our lives will be about.